right, looks like the book's up. Matthew 13, and looks like the internet's on, so we're going to get going uh, here. Matthew 13, we finished the first two parables. Uh, we went down through the parable of the sower, and we looked at that uh, interpretation. And uh, we've, uh, we talked then again uh, the second parable about the tares and the, uh, amongst the wheat. And uh, we looked at that interpretation so that, again, Christ does that so that, and he goes through those parables, he gives the interpretations in order for them, for the disciples, the believing remnant, the little flock, are able to then interpret all the other parables that he's going to give them over the time. They all have to do with the kingdom. They are dispensationally oriented. And, uh, and, and, and really all of the print parables in the Bible, uh, you look back at numbers and you look in different places, uh, they speak about Israel, about Israel. And so, you know, somebody get that? Okay. Hi. You're late? Yes. Okay. Have a seat. Okay. Go ahead, Don. Open the door. Uh, Matthew 13, that's where we're at now. We get down, and again, all of the parables there, they, they have uh, um, speak about the Israel and the, the, uh, uh, what's going on with them about the kingdom. So there's a dispensational mindset to them. Verse 34. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitudes in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And he is giving the parables. If you come back to Psalm 78, that's where he um, quotes these from, Psalms chapter 78. And uh, he, <clears throat> Psalm 78, verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to hear the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. And, and again, he, he quotes here, by the way, you, you see that at the top there, Maskell, that, that's instruction. So it's something that they're going to be taught by and, ta and, and looked at. And he's going to go down the rest of this chapter, and he's going to give really a history of the nation of Israel, and especially of Israel of her sins and from the time in the wilderness. And where they leave, you start down there in verse 52, and you're literally going to run all the way over to David in, in, in verse 70. And so he's going to give them... Uh, a history, and he's going to give them uh, an, an insight. And you'll notice in verse two, it's a parable. And all of the old, all of the Old Testament history, you go back to Exodus and Numbers and Joshua, First and Second Kings, First Second Samuel, the Chronicles. All that history is a parable, because it's a parable, and and, and again, it, it's an exact description of some things that are going to happen in the future. So it's a parable that's, this is what's going to happen 
and it's really looking out to the future, to that tribulation time period, and it begins to look, look at verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. So these things are written here. They're written talking about the future. And again, it's a dress rehearsal for that big day out there in the 70th week. And again, you go back through Exodus and Joshua and Judges and, you know, you look at Joshua 10 and Exodus 14 and he'll talk over there about Judges 5 and he'll say, in the day of battle, it was this, it's going to be like this. So you've got a... You, you've got this perspective that's going on there, and that, that's what we were talking about a minute ago. You, you have, when you study Scripture, you have a doctrinal content, but you also have to remember the historical application and that it happened to somebody in time. It meant something to somebody that it was written. I mean, you remember First Peter, he, he says the prophets write all this out. They have no clue, no understanding of what's going on. It's written for the future. Then you have... The, the, the historical and the doctrinal application, and, and really that's what we're after. So when you come back, you're in Psalm 78, look down at verse number 9. The book of Exodus and the book of Numbers and the book of Joshua and Judges contain more information about the second coming of Christ and the things that are going to take place in the, in the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation period, than the whole of the New Testament. Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, Kings, Chronicles, Samuel, all the Old Testament. And it's something that you've got to pay attention to. Psalm 78 says, we're talking about a parable. A future event, we're going to be talking about all the... Verse 9, the children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They had all this equipment. They had a great big defensive posture. They had all the defensive artillery, they had bows, all of it. And what they do? Turn back. Verse 10. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. That's why. So their problem, he says, their problem was a failure but their failure was because they didn't obey and follow the word of God. Rather, they went and did something else. So the issue here, and even in Psalm 78, come back to Matthew 13, and what we're seeing in Matthew 13 in the parables is a, a, a deeper issue. It's a spiritual issue that's going on there. And again, the parables are designed to for the believing remnant to get, and for the rest of that apostate nation to be left going, huh, what's he talking about? It's not what everybody says. You hear the preachers all say, oh, it's clear and plain, and he had to do it so everybody could get it. No, actually, Matthew 13, he didn't do that at all. He says, I'm doing this so you get it, and they don't get it. Verse 35, Matthew 13, 35 that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, saying. And again, 
the fact here is that that kingdom was going to be held, it was coming. There's a second coming that's going on. And as we've seen in these parables, the kingdom coming is the issue. And verse 33 there, another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto, and so forth. So that's the issue, that issue about that coming kingdom. So in the parables, the parable of the first parable we saw there of the sower, okay, that's Christ. He's out sowing the word. He's out establishing the little flock. He's getting them all together and so forth. Then the second parable, the tares amongst the wheat, we saw Satan's working. And he comes in as a counterfeit. And we see the opposition and the counterfeit program and Satan's policy of evil working against the kingdom. Now in the third, we're going to see the issue of the grain of the mustard seed. And in the fourth here, we're going to begin to see an outworking of all of this, of this evil. Uh, we're going to see uh, the, the mustard seed and the leaven. Two, two things that as we go through them here, we're going to begin to see the outworking of evil and the fact that that little flock that Christ has called together here is going to have to stand against the opposition of the adversary. And that opposition is going to be right in their midst. And it's going to be formidable, and they're going to have, they're going to have a leaven, a mixed multitude that they're going to have to deal with. Then in parables 5, 6, and 7, the fifth one is the treasure that's hidden in the field. The sixth one is the one of the, per, uh, of the pearl of great price. And the seventh one is that dragnet issue. And, and again, he, he's focusing on some inward activity that's going to happen. The first ones, he, he gives them outside of the house. Then he comes back inside the house, and he's dealing directly with, and he, uh, with the little flock. He begins to focus on the issues of the kingdom. Okay? The treasure and the hidden field... And the peril of great pearl, peril, pearl of great price. Can't read my writing. Those are going to identify the pursuit of the kingdom and the nation of Israel as being distinct from all the other nations in the earth. And that's the treasure. The the pearl is then the issue of the little flock being distinct from the nation of Israel. And then the last one, the dragnet, that's the issue of the harvest and uh, bringing in all of the Gentile nations and the judgment of the nations and so on, okay? So we're going to go as far as we can go, and if we can get them all done, we'll be really well, but we're, I'm not, I don't want to push too much. Verse 31, let's get the, the mustard seed here. <clears throat> Matthew 13, 31, another parable put he before, forth unto them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard of a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds but when it grows it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof 
Now, what we're going to deal with here is the influence of evil, which is going to be represented in the, that we saw in the tares amongst the wheat, and that activity of the wicked one and so forth. But here, we're going to begin to see that there's something else going on within the, the nation itself. The mustard seed. Notice it's the least of all seeds. The emphasis here is on the smallness of, that, of the seed. It's, it's the smallness at the beginning, but when it's grown, it's the what? The greatest among the, the herbs. So this mustard seed is planted, and when it grows up, the natural result of it, the natural outcome of the growing of the mustard seed is that it, start, it grows into greatness. Now, that's the natural way, and that's, how, that's the natural program for the kingdom. The kingdom, come back to Deuteronomy 7. The kingdom started that way. It started with the little group, and then it, you go back to Abraham, and it was just Abraham. And then it moves into this great group of people, big group of people. De Deuteronomy 7 Verse 1. By the way, Israel knows this. The, the, the frustrating thing for me in the gospel is that that nation, that apostate nation, they know nothing of their scriptures. They were the masters. They were the teachers of the nation, and they knew not, and they're supposed to know this. But they do know it, and they just twist it a little bit to keep themselves in power. <laughs> 7 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, and the Gigersites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, uh, and the Hevites. And anytime you see that I-T-E-S on the end of, of a name, it isn't good. These are all bad guys. Seven nations, now watch, greater and mightier than thou. They go into a land, and everybody in that land is bigger than they are. Look down at verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. They're little, and very little in the beginning. That nation is small. It's a mustard seed. They're not a big bunch of people. They're a little bunch of people. They're little. Come over to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Chapter 10 and verse number 22. 10-22. Thy fathers went, before, went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons. And now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. Notice that. They go into Egypt, 70 people. And what do they come out? A great number. They go down little, and then they grow to be great. Now, come over to chapter 28 of Deuteronomy. 28, Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28 through 32, basically, you have... A Moses gives a prediction, a prophecy. That's why he's called that prophet. Deuteronomy 28. 
and he sh talks to Israel, then that generation going into the land, about their future and about the tribulation and so forth. In verse 62, Deuteronomy 28, 62. And ye shall be left few in number, whereas ye were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou wouldest not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. Notice, ye shall be left, what? Few in number. You were a great multitude. Now you're what? Back to being a few. Why? Because they wouldn't obey the voice of the Lord. They wouldn't listen. God's judgment on that nation is that it might be a great, great in number at one point, but God's always going to see it through the judgment. That tribulation period, it was designed to do what? Get out the rebel, get out the dross, clean it up, make it be the true Israel on the other side. Now, you're in Deuteronomy. Run over to Genesis 1, but go back to Matthew 13. Because there's something in this in Matthew 13 that, you, that is the, kind of the linchpin in all this. In Matthew 13, verse 31, you got the grain of the mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among the herbs, and becometh a what? A tree. Now that's interesting. By the way, a few in number, he says, but fear not what? Little flock, not big flock, but little flock. It's a, it's a small remnant Moses will talk about. You think about that mustard seed is little, but yet what's it going to do? It's going to be great one day, and, and now it's back down. Then come over to Genesis 1. There, there's, a th there's a problem here that's kind of crept up with the mustard seed becoming a tree. And what lives in it, by the way? The birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. That's not normal. How do you know that? Genesis 1, verse 11. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after what? His kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb, yielding seed after his kind. And the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. The herb is to produce what? After, after what? His kind. Okay? Every, there is no crossover here. How did that, that herb become a tree? There's something, there's something that's not right here. That's the point. He, horses don't have goats. They have what? Horses. Okay? All right? A citrus tree, an orange tree, produces an orange. Okay? Well, that's not what we're talking about here. That's man-made did this. God's order is what? After his kind. If you come back, to, come back to Matthew 13 and look at verse 32. When it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs. 
and becometh a what? A tree. Is it supposed to become a tree? The answer is no. If it follows the course that God set in Genesis 1, it's going to be what? An herb. But it didn't, that's not what happened. It became a what? It became a tree. So was God's order, order followed here or not followed? Not followed. See, there's something else going on here than just a guy out planting a little thing, okay? Something happened, and this big old tree grew up. So here's a mustard seed, and it grows up to become a great herb, but all of a sudden, on its way to greatness, everything goes haywire. And rather than becoming an herb, it becomes a tree. So what, what the Lord's saying here is that something beyond the natural God-ordained course of events has taken place. What took place? Well, it become a tree. So that the birds of the air could do what? Lodge in them. Now, we've already seen who are the birds. The devils. Satan. Come over to Ezekiel 31. In that second parable in the in the Ezekiel 31, in the interpretation of it, the fowls of the air, all constantly the birds in the in, in scripture are are talked about to being uh, typology and the types and the pictures of the of the of the devil and 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 his plan and policy. Ezekiel 31, look at verse, we'll start in verse 1. This is where the Bible study kind of kicks in with you. Look at this and go, okay, what's going on here? Verse 1, And it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month, in the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitudes, who art thou like in thy greatness? Behold who? The Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with a shadowing shroud and of a high stature, and his top was among the thick boughs. The waters made him great. The deep set him on high with his rivers running round about his plants and set and sent out her little rivers unto all the trees of the field. Therefore his height was exceedingly above all the trees of the field, and his bow and his bow, uh, <clears throat> boughs were multiplied, and his branches became long because of the multitudes of water when he shot forth. All the fowls of heaven made their nest in his boughs, and under his branches did all the beasts of the field bring forth their young, and under his shadow dwelt all great nations. Notice that carefully in verse 6. What, what it, who's the tree? He's the Assyrian, the Antichrist. And it's a great nation, isn't he? In, in, in there in verse number six. And in his bowels come, come, uh, of, of, the, of his nation comes the flocks of heaven, right? Verse six. Fowls, the birds. What are they doing? 
They're making a nest in there. Now, again, in the parable of the sower, go back to Matthew 13 there. What do, well, hold on to Ezekiel 31. Just in your thinking, go back there to Matthew 13. What did the fowls do with the, in, the seat of the, in the parable of the sower? They came down, and what did they do? They snatched the seed away, didn't they? They took it, okay? And again, the birds are over and over and over again, picture Satan and his policy of evil and the demons and the devils and all of that. Over and over again, you know, they come down and snatch it. You thought Alfred Hitchcock wrote the bird movie and, you know, and all that was... No, it's been... You know, it's, it's amazing. Your Bible is something else. There are 33, roughly, I read somewhere one time, 33 original plots to Hollywood, the movies. And every one of them comes out of a plagiarism of the Word of God. They come out of mythology. Do you, you know that every occult religion out there has a store has the stories of the old testament in it you guys seen that movie it, it's been out a long time ago noah and it had russell crowe in it and and it, and everybody was oh man that's a great movie and you go i went i watched it because i'm like see what everybody's crowing about and it had nothing to do of uh you caught that okay <laughs> It had nothing to do with about the story of Noah in Genesis. It had everything to do about some, some uh, occultic idea of Noah and the flood. Every religion has a, a, a godhead. Every religious cult, you name it, they have, a, they have a spirit god. They have an Adam and Eve story when, where man started. They have a Noah, they have a flood, they have all of it. And all it comes right out of the scriptures. You still got Ezekiel 31. Okay? So don't discount your Bible. When we're talking about these birds here, they come in, the birds come in, Ezekiel 31, the birds come in and they lodge in the branches. And underneath the beasts of the field do what? They come up and they have their safety there. But he's talking about the Antichrist. Verse 8. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his boughs, and the chestnut tree was not like his branches, nor any tree in the garden of God was like unto him in his beauty. Note the cedars in the garden of God. Who was in the garden of God? Do you remember the garden of God, garden of Eden? Who was there? Well, the Lord was, Adam and Eve, and who else? Satan. See, so when he says, go talk to Pharaoh over there, he's, again, we underst you understand Ezekiel 28, he says, go talk to King of Tyrus and the Prince of Tyrus. He's not talking to the guy he's standing there, he's talking about the guy, Satan, who's pulling the strings behind all of it. He's representative here. Verse 9, I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God, did what? Envied him. You see, what we're talking about, and who we're talking about, come back to Matthew 13, is the Antichrist. 
And what he's doing with the parable of the mustard seed is, look, guys, you're little, and you're going to go into this greatness, but the Antichrist is going to come in and take over that kingdom. Of it, it, and we're talking about Israel. Well, what happens to him? Doesn't he do that? He comes in as king of the north and all that stuff in Daniel and all those battles raging. And he comes in with this peace policy and his flatteries. And I love Psalms where he describes him as he's smooth as butter. He's a politician. He comes in. He gets them to sign, sign the agreements. And what does he got? He's got Israel now. And what he's talking about here is that that little flock's going to have to fight against and resist and deal with the Antichrist. Because what the Antichrist is going to do is he's going to take that herb-bearing, that mustard seed that has grown into a great thing, and what's he going to do to it? He's going to violate the laws of God and turn it into a tree. Turn it into... Back there in Daniel, he talks about he's able to mess with the times and the seasons and the laws and everything and manipulate it. That's the word I'm looking for. And you know, you think about and he's going to be able to do that. And they're going to have... That little flock's going to have to deal with that. So the parable of the mustard seed is talking about the corruption that's going to happen to the kingdom, to the nation of Israel. And the fact is, is that kingdom, it's going to look like and start out, and everything's going to be good, and then all of a sudden corruption comes in, and corruption takes over. And what it, when it does that, the little flock, they're going to have to sit there and deal with it. Now, if you think about the early Acts period, we were talking about it the other day, last or two weeks ago. It started at 120, and it went to what? A great multitude, didn't it? Mustard seed small. Now we're big. What was the next thing to happen? Stoning of Stephen. The Lord's coming back. Who was the next major person on the scene? The Antichrist in their program. Now the Lord interrupts it with Paul. But there he is. What's he going to do with that? He's going to take that nation, not the little flock, but the nation of Israel, and make it into something that it was never supposed to be made into. And that little flock is going to have to deal with that. And is going to have to be ready for it. Verse 33, another parable. Spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now the parable of the leaven. <laughs> leaven in the Bible is consistently a picture of false doctrine. Okay? Uh, come over to Matthew 16. Now what usually happens out there in Christian dumb, D-U-M-B, is that they say that leaven is an illustration of the present hot hiddenness and the future greatness of the church 
and the gospel and how the gospel is going to start out small and then go over the whole face of the earth and everyone's going to get saved and the leaven is leavening the process of the gospel as it goes out and it's placed in three measures of meal. And those three measures of meal is the three branches of Christendom. The Roman church, the Greek Orthodox church, and the Protestant church. I had to write this down, okay? I never remember what, you know. And what they do is they just go out and it just leavens those three branches. And it, pretty soon the whole world is all wonderful and saved and converted and then God just brings his city down and everything and when he comes back. Now that's what people say that aren't dispensationalists. Because it's all they know to say. That's why they say it, okay? But that hasn't got anything to do with what we're talking about here in the passage. Matthew 16, notice if you will in verse 6. Again, leaven in your Bible over and over and over again consistently has to do with false doctrine and avoiding it like the plague. Matthew 16, 6. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves or the 4,000 and how many baskets ye took up. He looks at those guys and, he's, you know, what are you guys doing over there? You know, gives that, deno I love the denozo slap, I call it. Like, you guys haven't learned anything. You know, as a teacher, sometimes you feel like that with everybody. Did you get this yet? You know, I had a guy ask me one time years ago, you keep going over the same stuff over and over again. I said, well, yeah, you're a little hard-headed. You haven't quite got it yet. <laughs> and I haven't either, so we go over it again. Verse 11, how is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of leaven of bread, but of, notice, the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You see, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is their what? Their doctrine. False doctrine. Bad doctrine. And that's the issue. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had, had very clear problems. And you know what their problems were? They rejected the word of God. Now come over to Luke 12. And, and so the leaven issue has to do with this issue of bad doctrine. 12.1. Luke 12.1, Luke I'm sorry, Luke 12.1. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, and so much that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
Now he's going to go down the rest of the passage and deal with them. But notice that the leaven of the Pharisees is what? It has to do with hypocrisy. And again, if people think that, that the Lord was meek and mild and come over to chapter, come back to Matthew 23. You know, people, you know, they think that, well, the Lord said, turn another cheek. And so you got to do that. And you Christians got to just cave in. And you know what? The Lord, never, the Lord didn't do that. He never did that. Watch him do this, Matthew 23. You know, the, actually the Lord Jesus Christ peels the hide off of these guys. And he goes in there, and, he, and, and it's frustrating to me to see Christian people not understand this, and they just cowtail to whatever is being thrown at them. And people go, well, you know, you got to think about, you know, in grace and da-da. I understand that. You don't have to be mean about it, but you don't have to cow because watch the Lord. Matthew 23, look at verse 30, uh, verse 13. Matthew 23, 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, what? Hypocrites. Notice how he doesn't say, oh, I love you so much and you look so good today. And oh, please don't get offended by what I'm about to tell you. Exactly. He doesn't say any of that. He, he, call, he calls it. Verse 14. If once is not enough, watch this one. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. And Three strikes and you're usually out. Okay? He does, and, and by the way, verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, would say. Verse 17, you fools and blind. I mean, he does not pull the punches because it's leaven, it's false, it's bad doctrine. Come on over down to uh, verse 30, well, verse 32. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? I mean, he, he's clear. You know, he, he, he gets to rolling on them down there. And the false doctrine of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees, it, it has to do with hypocrisy. But with these guys, it has to do with formalism. It has to do with them adding, tradition, adding the Father's traditions to the Word of God. You come back to chapter 22. In verse 23, 22, 23, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and ask him, these guys are materialists. There's no resurrection, no supernatural, no life after death. It's just all material. It's just all for the now. And he just gets going with them. The Pharisees, and by the way, it's all false doctrine. The Sadducees are the liberals. If you want, if okay, the Pharisees are the fundamentalists. They they believe their Bible. They knew their Bible. The problem was was they like to, they just added, they just well, chapter twenty three verse nine. They like to be called rabbi. Verse seven and greetings in the market, Matthew twenty three seven and greetings in the market and to be called of men rabbi rabbi. Verse nine. What does the Lord say? Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. See, the Pharisees like the formalism and the, and the, and the you're going to enter the sanctuary, you're going to do it quietly. And if you have to whisper, 
whisper a prayer. You know, I I always hear Dad and he tells stories of growing up in the Methodist church and. They used to write notes on the bottom of their shoes because you have to go up on the prayer, prayer rail and sit, and they would make, write, write messages to everybody who looking at them, you know. And you'd always sit there and listen for whose knees would creak and pop when they bent down to pray. You know, that's the Pharisees. They just liked all of that. The Sadducees, they just, no resurrection, no angels, none of that. We're just in it for the moment. Now come over to Mark 8 because there's really a third group here in this and all of this mark 8 that comes up every now and then you see them kind of rear their head up mark 8 and verse 15 and uh, these guys are called the Herodians okay mark 8 15 and he charged them saying take heed beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod and that is really talking about the Herodians and these guys are the political guys. And they're a bunch of worldly people. And they're, they're out uh, in, and they're hooked into Herod and they're hooked into the system. And yes, they are Israel. Yes, they're Jews. They've got it. But they're really, they're, they're looking at the power play. And they're, they're looking over there. So you've got three groups identified for you. Come back to Matthew 13. Uh, in the leaven, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, formalism. Then you have the le leaven of the Sadducees, which is the issues of materialism. Then there's the leaven of the Herod, uh, Herod Herodians, <laughs> Herodians. So I read it like you know, spelled it. And that's the issue of the worldliness and so forth. So you got these th three different classifications here. Matthew 13, 33. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven. It's like unto this false doctrine that a woman takes and she hides in three measures of meal till the whole is leavened. So in other words here, the false doctrine is going to be taught during the ministry of this time, which is the tribulation, we're looking ahead, early Acts, tribulation. And it's going to spread throughout the whole group of Israel, the whole group, the whole of Israel. That Israel is a mixed multitude. We've I've put it on apostate Israel, the little flock, they're believing. And that little flock's going to have to contend with that, with that false doctrine that's going to, the little flock's got to contend, con, uh, contend with the Antichrist and the onslaught of the satanic policy of evil, and they've got to deal with and contend with that onslaught of false doctrine, hypocrisy and worldliness and materialism. Now, notice the woman. The woman is Babylon. You go over the Revelation 2. Look over there at Revelation 2. You guys okay? All right, Revelation 2. Revelation 2. Here's the woman. Because, you know, everybody, who's the woman? Well, here she is. Revelation 2 and verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. 
which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent for her fornication, and she repented not. The woman is going to teach the servants to do what? To commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. False doctrine, hypocrisy, laying it in. The woman takes that out there in three measures of meal, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, and plants it in there so that the whole gets leavened. Revelation 17, 5 over there, she's Mystery Babylon the Great. That's who she is. The mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth and all that stuff, that's who she is. But that issue, look at 17.5, Revelation 7. You're in Revelation. Might as well look at it instead of stumble through it. Revelation 17, verse 5. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. What That is, in Scripture, that's called Baal worship. That's who she is. It's idolatry. It's the religion of the Antichrist. So if the Antichrist is taking that nation from that mustard seed and making them into something they're not supposed to be, okay, changing the natural order of God, then what else is going on? She's out there, got three false doctrines floating through them, corrupting the nation of Israel as a whole. Just going on and on and on. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which that woman took and she hid. The Baal worshiper has come in, Jezebel. Could you imagine that name, Jezebel? <laughs> and they hide the false doctrine. And, and they do it in, a, in, in a three measures of meal. Meal, uh, um, Le Leviticus 2, run back over there, Leviticus 2, in verse 11, Leviticus 2, verse 11, no meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven, for ye shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, in any offering to the Lord made by fire. They weren't to do what? They were to have no leaven. But there is a time when they are allowed to have leaven. And it's on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2. And what happens on the day of Pentecost? They are a what? A mixed multitude. So when he talks here about the meal offering and the meal... The meal offering in, in for Israel was a picture of perfect sinless, sinless, sinlessness, okay? So it's a picture of the perfect, sinless, spotless character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that meal offering was never to have leaven in it. It wasn't to be introduced into the meal offering. Why? Because the meal offering identified and represented the spotless character of, of the Lord, of God, of Jehovah. Come over to Jeremiah 23. Thinking about this meal. <clears throat> I 
ate dinner early tonight, so we're thinking about the food again. <laughs> Jeremiah 23, in verse 28. Jeremiah 23, 28. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Now he's talking about the word of God, okay? And he says it's chaff to the wind. The wheat is the word of God. The chaff is the false doctrine that Jeremiah is warning them about. The meal, the meal is made up of fine flour. That's the wheat. Come over to John 12. Okay? The meal represents the word. So whether it's the living word, Christ, or the written word. So the meal is about Christ himself. That's the point. John 12 and verse 24. John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You see that thing about the corn of wheat? All right? The corn of wheat. He's talking about the word. And he's talking about the issue here about Christ. That's what he, in John, that's what he's talking about. Come over to 2 John. Keep that in your mind. Come to 2 John. 2 John, chapter 1, there's only one chapter. Who is the corn of wheat? That's the question. Well, it's Christ. 2 John 1, uh, well, there's only one chapter. Verse 9, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not, un, bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. There are people in the tribulation period who are going to be going around and corrupting the doctrine of Christ, verse 9. Okay? And you, again, you go into 1 John chapter 2, chapter 4, those tests. About, about the issue of the purity of the doctrine of who Christ was. Okay? Matthew 16, Peter over there, he, he'll say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. John 20, he goes in there. The whole thing of John is so that you would come to understand and to know. Come back to Matthew. Who, who Christ is. Uh, he says, but these are written that ye may, might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that issue here, again, of leaven, they're messing and corrupting the Word of God. That's what they're doing. They're, they're not maintaining it. They're not keeping it. 
So in Matthew 13, when he starts here about the issue of the woman, and he takes the three measures of meal, the word of God, and they're going to mess up the whole kingdom. The whole of the nation is polluted, and it's degraded down. Now, again, in Acts 2, uh, come over there to Acts 2. There's a verse in Acts 2. It goes back to Leviticus 23. Get Acts 2, and then go back and get Leviticus 23. They could cook with leaven, but only one time out of the year. Leviticus 23 and verse 15. Leviticus 23, 15. And ye shall count unto you from morrow after the Sabbath. From that day ye brought the sheath of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days. And ye shall offer a new meat, a new meat offering unto the Lord. And shall bring um, out of your habitation two wave loaves of two tenths deal. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the fruit, first fruits unto the Lord. Well, 50 days after the Passover is Pentecost, Penta, okay? So when you come to Acts 2, verse number 42, after Peter's been dealing with them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread in prayers. They literally are sitting there, and they are after, notice, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So they're sitting around a bread made with leaven, because they are a mixed multitude. And they're breaking bread there, and they're doing it, but they're doing it with the what? The apostles' doctrine. They got the right doctrine. They've got the fellowship meal. They got prayer going on. This stuff in Matthew 13... Go to Matthew 13, back over there. We need to stop, I guess. <clears throat> That's not what he's talking about here. Rather, he's talking about the fact is that, hey, there's going to be trouble coming to that little flock. They're going to have to deal with it. And it's going to be a leaven. Paul says a little leaven does what? Leavens the whole lump, messes it all up. And... The Lord's warning them, look out there in the future, you're going to have to deal with these people, and this is what you're going to be up against, the opposition. Now, Matthew 13, verse 36, Then Jesus sent the multitudes away and, and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he goes down through, and he gives them the tares of the field, explains it out to them, the issues there, and we saw that already. Now, verse 44. Get these last three here quickly. Verse 44. 1344. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Now, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. What's the field? The field's the world, okay? What's the treasure? The nation of Israel. That's who they are. Uh, you go back to Exodus 19, verse 5, and he, where he says to them, If you'll obey my voice indeed and keep my covenants, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people. You go over to Psalms 135, verse 4, 
where he says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. So Israel is called the treasure. And the treasure is healed in, is healed, is hid in the field. Well, what is James 1.1? James to the 12 tribes, what? Scattered abroad. Where are they? They're scattered out in the field out there. Okay? In Psalms 83, he calls them my hidden ones. So he, he the, in the context, that's the tribulation time. They're out there hidden out there. They're out there scattered in the nations. They're scattered in the field. So what does he go do? Well, verse 44, Matthew 13, 44, he goes up there and buys the whole field. Why? Well, the nation of Israel somewhere out there, hidden out there in the world, and yet the future of that nation is bright. It's a treasure. It's his treasure. So when he finds them for, I love that, for joy. So then he goes and sells and everything and buys the whole field. So they're out there in the nation. Somewhere out there in the nation is, a, is, the, is, the, is Israel, the treasure, hid. And it's hid in the fields. And the and it's got a bright future, and it's got all the promises and everything that, that are there. But he bought the whole field. Ver, ver, the next one, verse 45, goes with it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking a goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, the pearl of great price is a reference to the little flock, the believing remnant, as being distinct from the nation. So you've got the nation out there, the treasure, hidden in the world, and then you've got the great pearl, the pearl of great price, sitting over here that's even worth more than they are. Now, you think about a pearl. A pearl is a living stone, okay, it's, and, it, and it's produced through great suffering, that little oyster, okay? It's produced out of great tribulation. Remember last week we were talking about the, the 144,000 go, and then that that, that man, the man-child, the 144,000 go home, and the woman runs, and that's Israel, and the persecution and what they're doing is, is they're going down through that persecution and all the dross is being pulled away, and you come out with that little bitty flock. Malachi talks about, uh, Malachi 3 talks about the tribulation, and he says, I'll gather up my jewels. The jewels are the people, a type of describing the little flock, and here, that merchant man goes and he sold all that he had and he bought it. And by the way, that is a kingdom requirement. Sell all that you have and give alms. You know, Luke 12 and so forth. So he does that. Then you have verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. 
which when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessel and cast the bad away. So will it be at the end of the world. Now watch. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. Now Christ interprets that last one. For, so you got three interpretations. He just interpreted the last. It's very short. It's very direct. Because here he's focusing on the wicked and what's going to happen to them. The, the angels are going to come and they're going to reap the harvest. And they're going to dip the sickle in and reap it away. Verse 50, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The sea. Uh, I'm sorry, they say unto him, uh, Jesus said unto them, Have you understood all these things? And they say unto him, Yea, Lord. The sea, a type of the nations. He gathers out of the Gentile nations. Matthew 25, he gathers those nations together. And what does he do? Sheep on one side, goats on the other. The sheep go into the kingdom, and the goats go right into the lake of fire. It's the judgment of the nations that's what he's talking about. So you've got all three groups in these last three parables. You have Israel, the nation, as distinct from all the other nations of the earth with a bright future. Then you have the little flock, that little remnant, as distinct from the nation itself, and then you have the Gentile nations who go into the kingdom, and then the nations that are left go over into the lake of fire. So God's purpose in the kingdom is being accomplished in all three groups. Okay? Now, the little flock and the nation of Israel, that relationship there, we'll pick up in verse 51 here. He says there to them, did you get it? And they say, yes, we got it. <laughs> I'm not sure how much of it they get, but he says they got it. Daniel 12 over there, he's, he, he talks about uh, they that are wise shall understand these things and stuff like that. And that's pretty much what he's talking about. By, in verse 51, that little flock gets it. The nation doesn't. Verse 10, 11, 12, and 13, they're, they're not getting the parables, but that little flock gets it. And because they get it, verse 52, then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven, not the church, the body of Christ, not us today, Okay, we're not involved in this. None of this has anything to do with us today. But literally what he's doing, the end of that verse 52, treasure things, what, new and old. These guys are dispensationalists of their day. What they're doing is they're taking the old information and they're putting it with the new information and they're literally making the chart. For the nation of Israel. They're reaching back and taking the old information, the old revelation, and they're putting it now with this new advanced information about the little flock and the and the attack and all that. And they're 
putting it together. And he says, if you understand what's going on, then guess what? You're going to get it. You're going to catch on to it. So literally, these guys are dispensationalist, and they're putting the, the chart together, the picture together. They're taking the Old Testament, and they're putting it together with what he's been teaching them. Okay? The nation of Israel and the little flock, that relation, the Lord says to the 12 apostles, you'll be sitting on 12 thrones judging the what? The 12 tribes of Israel. So that means who's got to be there? The nation of Israel does. The little flock, the 12, but then the little flock have a position. Those that go through the tribulation, the overcomers, they're going to have a special service in the temple. But that little flock becomes that nation, and they, and they begin to grow in number, multitudes, because there's going to be a reach back and a resurrection and all that good stuff, okay? Now, we got further than I thought we would, because it's just been over an hour, all right? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we thank you for the look into the word and be able to see and understand what's going on and to rejoice that what you'll be doing with your people in the earth in that day and then to rejoice in the fact of what you'll be doing with us in the heavenly places. In your name we pray, amen.